your Bibles once again tonight, if you would please, and turn to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to read the same scripture that we read this morning, and then we're going to give you part two of the message that we brought earlier today. I definitely believe, I definitely believe we're on course today, and just because of the feedback, just the feedback that we've received, and sometimes we, we receive some feedback from a message, and, and then sometimes we receive a lot of feedback from my message, and, and it's sort of been that today, and, and so I really, I, de- I definitely believe we're, we're on track with the Lord's will, and so Mark chapter 5 in your Bibles tonight, uh, when you find your place, if you're able to stand, let's stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word, and uh, we went a little overtime tonight, so I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to try to keep an eye on, on the clock tonight. Proverbs, I'm sorry, Mark, Mark chapter number 5. And verse number one, the Bible says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him and cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, talking about the demon, and he asked him, what is thy name? And he, talking about the, the devil, and he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus, and this is our text, of course, verse 15. And they come to Jesus And see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And of course, I want to draw your attention to that last part about this demoniac. The Bible says when they found him, they found him in his right mind. And so we're talking to you today about the attributes of a right mind. This morning, we took the opportunity to talk to you a little bit about a wrong mind, and we'll, uh, we, after we pray, we'll review just a moment, and then we're going to get into some brand new material tonight, and uh, I don't think we'll keep you long this evening. So you may be seated, and let's go to the Lord and ask the Lord to really help us tonight. Father, thank you for the privilege to be back at Calvary Baptist Church again tonight, and Lord, we, we're so glad that we'll never walk alone. Lord, you promised us in the book of Hebrews that you'd never leave us and never forsake us. 
Lord, there have been some times in my life when I've been pretty forsakeable. But I'm so glad you've never given up on me. I'm so glad that you're a God of the second chance. I'm thankful that you're a God of forgiveness. And Lord, you want us to live this life in our right mind. And so many that we're seeing today, Lord, are struggling as we, we preached about that this morning. So many are struggling with their thought life and they're struggling with their mind and they're struggling with discouragement and they're struggling with depression. And so, Lord, tonight I pray that you would set some, some people free. You did that this morning. We're thankful. And God, I pray tonight that you will work in our hearts and our minds. I pray that our minds will be open to what you have for us tonight. Help us, I pray, Father. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake and all God's people said, amen. Well, we learned this morning the attributes of a wrong mind, all right here in Mark chapter five. We learned about the preoccupation with death, that preferring of solitude, of wanting to get away from the crowd, not wanting to fellowship, not wanting to, to be with other people or other believers. We learned about that pleading for attention and that practice of self-injury, which here again, uh, may or may not be something that you're accustomed to, but it's definitely something that's going on in our culture today and something that's going on in our world. And then we learned about that pattern of sexual impurity. All of these things were played out within the life of this, this demoniac in Mark chapter five. And so that's the attributes of a wrong mind. But tonight, I don't wanna focus on that. We took some time to do that this morning. Tonight, I wanna focus on the attributes of a right mind. We learned about what a wrong mind looks like, but tonight, I want us to learn about what a right mind, a person in their right mind, what those things look like. If I could give you a little bit of an introduction, let me just give you some, some neat facts tonight. This may not change your life, but some neat facts. First of all is this, did you know that more has been discovered about our minds in the last 20 years than in all the time before that? Uh, by the way, that's a fulfillment of prophecy, just in case you're wondering. Uh, Daniel said that in the end, that knowledge shall be increased. And so uh, the, the reason that's happening is because I believe we're getting close. I believe we're getting close to the end. And if you've ever been ready to meet the Lord, you better be ready right now because there's a very good likelihood that he's coming soon. And in fact, it could be tonight. Amen. It could be. We talk about having service Wednesday night. We may, not, we may have service Wednesday night in heaven. Uh, and so, something to keep in mind. How about this? Did you know that an estimated 60% to 80% of visits to primary care physicians have a stress-related component? From 60% to 80%, uh, the reason they go to the doctor is because of a stress-related situation. Did you know this? That research shows that 75% to 98% of mental, physical, and behavioral illnesses come from one's thought life. Wow. Someone likened the mind to a garden. Think about it like this. If you exercise no control, it'll become a weed patch and a source of shame and misery. If you exercise wise control, then it'll be filled with God's miracles and become a place of indescribable beauty. You're free to choose which. How can you do it? 
Simply for example, and I love this, simply for example, develop a habit of looking at each thought as you would a plant. If it's worthy, if it fits the plan you desire for your mind, cultivate it. If not, replace it. How do you get it out of your mind? I love this. How do you get it out of your mind? Simply by putting in its place two or three thoughts of love or worship. For no mind can dwell on more than two or three thoughts at one time. Circumstances outside the garden of your mind do not shape you. You shape them. For example, if you expect treachery, allowing those thoughts to dwell in your mind, you'll get it. If you fill your mind with thoughts of love, you'll give, you'll give love and get it. If you think little of God, he'll be far from you. If you think often of God, the Holy Spirit will dwell more in you. The glory of the universe is open to every man. Some look and see, some look and see not. You see, gardens are not made in a day. God gave you one lifetime for the job. Control of your garden, the garden of your mind uh, grows with practice and study of the wisdom other minds have bequeathed to you. He who produces an item of unique beauty in his garden or his mind may have a duty to give that seed to others. As your body is the dwelling place of your mind, so is your mind the dwelling place of your soul. The mind you develop is your dwelling place for all your days on earth. And the soul you develop on earth may be the soul you're stuck with for eternity. God has given you the choice. And again, what that is saying is this, that it is so important to guard your mind. Your mind has such a huge impact on your life. And you young people, I know sometimes you feel like preachers just up here harping on things and harping on things. And, 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 and it's really not that at all. Uh, we're, we just love you. But, but we understand something. We understand that, that what you're pouring into your mind right now is going to affect your marriage later. And what you're putting into this computer now is going to affect your relationship with your children later. And what you're putting in your mind now is going gonna, gonna to have a, an influence on the way you're, you work at your job or the way you run your business or the way you function in a ministry, uh, the way your mind works. And so what are some things tonight that are indicative of people who have been born again by the grace of God and Christ is influencing a right mind. What are they? Well, I want to give you a few of those tonight, if I could. How about this? Number one, a person that has a right mind will have an attitude of contentment. Now, look in your Bibles. Look back at your Bibles. Mark chapter 5, and look at verse number 15. Interesting. The Bible says, and they come to Jesus... And see him that was, there's that past tense again, that was possessed with the devil and had the legion. Look at the next word. The Bible says, sitting, sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Sitting. Boy, what a contrast to how things used to be. When they finally came out to see this man, he was clothed and he was sitting in his right mind. Now you say, Pastor, contrast, what are you talking about? Well, Mark chapter five, look back at verse number four. The Bible says, because that he, this man, had been often bound. Notice the words that scripture uses, that he had been often bound. This was not something that happened occasionally. This was something that happened often. For, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been 
plucked asunder by him. The implication is that this has happened many, many times. And the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. Look at verse 5. And always, notice the, the terminology, and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. And so understand that the Bible is painting us a contrast here. This man's life was one of constant drama. There was something that was always going on. There was no rest. There was no contentment. There was no relaxation. It was always something. There were always yelling going on. There was always fear going on. There was always something that was going on in this man's life. There was no contentment. But yet when Jesus saved him and Jesus cast out these devils, when they came to this man, they found him sitting at the feet of Jesus. Did you know the great thing about becoming a Christian? It really is. The great thing about becoming a Christian is that Christ gives you an overwhelming sense of contentment. Now, I didn't have these, uh, really, I, I didn't plan on putting these on your screen tonight, but I felt so strongly about this. And so Brother Evan and I sort of worked on this this afternoon because I saw many of you looking at the scriptures this morning. And I think, boy, I think there's something to that. I think there's something about your eyes being able to see the scripture. Listen to what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. One of the, the fruits of the Spirit is going to be love and joy and peace and peace in your life. How about Psalm 119, verse 165? The Bible says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. How about Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 7? And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How about Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 15? And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you're called in one body, and be thankful. How about John chapter 14? We can just keep on rolling, by the way. How about John chapter 14, verse number 27? Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Did you know that when a person is in their right mind and they're walking in the Spirit, they're being led of the Spirit, they will be content. Now, you say, preacher, you mean they're going to have everything they want? That's not what I said. But they will be content. They may not have the exact car they want to drive. They may not live in the exact house they want to live in. But you know what? When you know Jesus and when Jesus fills your heart, there is just something. Uh, there, there is a contentment. There is a peace. Uh, there is a fulfillment. And by the way, and by the way, you may be going through the worst circumstance in your life. You may be going through the trial of all trials. You may be going through the, the biggest valley that you've ever been through. And yet our God is able to give you a peace that passeth all understanding. And, uh, and, and sometimes when you're going through things like that, people come to you and they're saying, man, how are you taking this like you're taking it? I don't understand. Let me tell you what it is. It's called Jesus. It's called Jesus. Contentment. Contentment. When a person is in, in their right mind, they will be content. I'm always amazed. After pastoring for 30 years, I'm amazed that there can be a church full of people who are 
content. I'm in a church full. A church full of people who are excited about what God is doing at the Calvary Baptist Church. I'm talking about a church full of people that are thankful for the moving of the Spirit. They're thankful that people are being saved. They're thankful that folks are being baptized. They're thankful that the church is growing. They're thankful that the word is going out. They're thankful that ministries are growing. And, and it's amazing that in a church full, and I've got, that, uh, I've got that capitalized in my outline, in a church full of people who are content, and yet there are always one or two who are constantly complaining. Constantly criticizing what's going on. Never good enough. It's never good enough. The choir never quite hits it. The sermon never quite hits the mark. Uh, you know, it's amazing how everybody in the church can be getting fed, but there's those one or two that it's never good enough. And I'm just not getting fed. And my needs aren't being met. And, and uh, I, just don't, just, I just don't agree with how the church is being led uh, and, and all of that. Now, wait a minute, church. That's all I'm saying, that when you come to Christ and you give your heart to Jesus and, and Jesus saves you, I'm not saying everything's going to be perfect. I'm not saying you're going to have a perfect marriage. I'm not saying you're going to have a perfect church. I'm not saying you're going to have a perfect pastor because you don't. I promise you that. But I will tell you this, that when you get filled up with the Holy Ghost of God, there is going to be a contentment that takes control in your life and God is going to bring you fulfillment. Hey, let me give you some, let me give you some more scriptures here. How about 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 6? The Bible says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Philippians chapter four, verse number 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, Paul said, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. How about 1 Timothy chapter six and verse number eight? And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. How about Hebrews chapter 13, verse number five? Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never Leave thee, nor forsake thee. Benjamin Franklin said it like this. Contentment makes poor men rich. Discontentment makes rich men poor. Someone said, be content with what you have, never with what you are. You know, church, think about it like this. When you get to that place, and I know we've got some folks right now that are going through some super difficult times. Some of you right now are fighting the biggest battle you've ever fought in your life. And sometimes it feels like it's just, it feels like the world is just caving in on top of you. But I've got some good news. Someone said, when you realize Christ is all you have, you realize Christ is all you need. I love it. Phil Parham tells the story of a, of a rich industrious who was disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. Why aren't you out there fishing, he asked. Because I've caught enough fish for today, said the fisherman. Well, why don't you catch more fish than you need, the rich man asked. Well, what would I do with them? Well, you, you could earn more money, came the impatient reply. Buy a better boat so you could go deeper and, and catch more fish. 
You could purchase nylon nets and catch even more fish and make more money and soon you'd have a, a fleet of boats and be rich like me. And the fisherman asked, then what would I do? And he said, then you could sit down and enjoy life. And the fisherman said, what do you think I'm doing now? You know, that's so true. You know what? When you have Jesus, when you have Jesus, you know what you find out? You find out, I don't need all this other stuff. And so the world comes and the world says, hey, you want to go get drunk? Why do I need to get drunk? I don't need to get drunk. I've got Jesus. Someone says, man, you want to go out and and take some drugs? And I'm thinking, why? Why would I want to go out and put drugs in my body? I don't need drugs. I don't need alcohol. I don't need immorality. I don't need the party life. I don't need the world. When when what I have is Jesus, I'm so glad that I can tell you that Jesus is all I need. He's all I need. And so we find an attitude of contentment quickly. I told you I'd try, to be, I'd try to be a little quicker tonight. Number two. Now, these are just some things we find here in the scripture. Number two, we find with a right mind, we find a willingness to cover up. Now, Mark chapter five, you're in your Bibles. Look at verse 15. The Bible says in Mark chapter five, verse number 15, and they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting. He's there, there's contented, sitting, and what's the next word? clothes. What did we learn this morning? Luke's gospel. Luke said that about this same story, the Bible says that he wear no clothes. We talked about that issue of sexual impurity this morning. So this man now in his right mind becomes concerned about his appearance. He becomes concerned about his testimony. He is now concerned about how he appears to others. Now follow me tonight, church. Did you know when a person is in their right mind, it's no longer all about them. It's no longer all about their wants and their desires. When a person is in their right mind and they're saved, they're concerned about others. They're concerned about how they come across to others. Now, I know there are people, there are many of them, by the way, and uh, some that would take great issue with me on this point tonight. And, and by the way, you know, if you're a member of Calvary Baptist Church, this is not something that we harp on all the time, but it is something that needs to be addressed. And it's something that ought to be preached. And it's something that ought, ought to be taught. I know that there are people who say, preacher, that is nobody's business how I dress or how I look. But I want you to understand, people, and I don't say this mean tonight, uh, but people who say that, I want you to understand, are not in their right mind. You say, Pastor, are you trying to say I'm out of my mind? You take it how you want to take it. But the child of God is concerned about their testimony. And they're concerned about their appearance. Now, again, let's give you some scriptures tonight on this so you'd think I'm not just giving giving you some kind of opinion tonight. Philippians chapter four, verse number five, very clearly the Bible says this, let your moderation be known. And not just be known, but what what does it say? Be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. 
First Timothy chapter two, verse number nine, the Bible says to you dear ladies out there in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 14, doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him. Now y'all give me a little grace tonight. Y'all know that I don't get out here every Sunday and I don't harp on these kind of things. Uh, y'all know that tonight, but, but it's in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, we ought to preach the whole counsel of God. God, and, and because there are a there, there is a group out there that says, you know what? God is not concerned one whit about the outside, but I'm telling you, uh, they're not in their Bibles like they need to be. Uh, by the Bible is very clear to point out that God is concerned about the outward. He is concerned about your testimony. He is concerned about your appearance. And I'm just saying that to say this, that there ought to be a difference. There ought to be a difference in the appearance of a child of God and the world. Christian people ought to look different. Christian people ought to talk different. Christian people ought to, ought to act different, ought to live different. When people look at you, they may not know, but they look at you, they ought to say, I don't know what it is, but there's something different about that lady. There's something different about that man. He doesn't look like everybody else. He doesn't act like everybody else. He doesn't talk like everybody else. And so people that are in their right mind are concerned about their testimony and their appearance quickly. There's a third thing. Number three is this. We see a Christian exhibiting self-control. Look, Mark chapter five, verse number 15. This is a short point, but it's a good one. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed, and here it is, and in his right mind. I looked that up. I studied that out. And in his right mind. It speaks of moderation. We just gave you that verse a moment ago. It speaks of self-control. Here's this guy that's literally out of control. And all of a sudden, when they come to see him, he is now in control. A man who used to be out of control is now reserved and in control of his actions. Now, you say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, let me give you some specifics. A man whose mouth used to be out of control is now quiet. Mark chapter five, verse five. Remember what we learned this morning. Mark five, verse five. And always ninth day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying. Y'all remember that? Crazo. <laughs> Greek, that's what it means. Crazo to croak. Like a raven, he was crying out, shrieking, hollering, yelling. You, you couldn't go anywhere around Gadara without hearing this man crying out and, and yelling. And yet when they finally come to, the, uh, when they come to see this man, now he is saved and we see that he's in control of his mouth. Proverbs eleven twelve says it like this. He that is void of wisdom despiseth his neighbor, but a man of understanding holdeth his Peace. Proverbs 29, 11 says it like this. A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. Did you know that you don't always have to say the first things come to your mind? Why, I know, but preacher, I was right. Okay, so you were right. 
Just because you were right, does that mean you, you, know, you always have to spout off? You always have to say something? Uh, you know, especially when you know it's going to stir up trouble and it's going to cause issues and it's going to hurt your wife or it's going to hurt your husband or it's going to devastate your children. And, and, I, I, and this is all I'm saying, that, that those people who are always just speaking out, just saying the first thing that comes to their mind, never stopping to think, never stopping to pray, never stopping to ponder. They just, I mean, it's just open up and just let her fly. I want you to understand that those folks are not in their right mind. People that are in their right mind are in control, which says, I feel like I want to say this, but I know that if I say this, it may hurt someone. What is it that Ephesians says in Ephesians chapter four, verse number 29? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. In other words, our talk, what we say, it ought to build people up. It ought not tear folks down. Man, let, let, this, let this church never be the kind of church that's gossiping and backbiting and tattletelling and, and uh, so-and-so's telling on so-and-so and so-and-so's telling on so-and-so. And man, we're calling people up and bad-mouthing folks. And I'm gonna tell you what, you know what that's called? That's called evil speech. And we ought not be involved in those kind of things. Isaiah 53, verse 7, about our Lord, the Bible says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Again, I'm going to get off this point. We're going to be done here in just a moment. But I want to tell you something. Just uh, next time you get the inkling just to say something, stop and say, Lord, would you help me to be like you? Remember that story when the Bible says Jesus was in the temple and he was teaching? And the Bible says the religious leaders brought the woman in adultery. Y'all remember that? And the Bible says they brought this woman taken in adultery. They caught her in the very act, at least that's what they said. They bring her to the Lord. They don't even let him get finished teaching. They cast her down. They break up the service, interrupt his teaching. You know why? They weren't concerned about the truth. And so they cast her down before him and they said, Moses' law says she ought to be stoned. What do you say? And they were expecting some kind of a response. And I love it. You know what the Bible says about Jesus? He stooped down and he wrote in the dirt. <laughs> I don't know what he wrote. Some people have suggested that he wrote, where is the man? If you caught her in the act, where's the man? Some have suggested that he stooped down and wrote in the dirt, and grace. I don't know what he wrote. But the Bible says he just, in fact, our Bible says he act like he didn't even hear them. He stooped down, wrote in the sand, and then he got up and he said, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. But wouldn't it be a great day at Calvary Baptist Church when the devil encourages us to say something, we exhibit self-control because we're in our right minds. And so, several things here. Number one, we see an attitude of commitment. We see a willingness to cover up a, a Christian exhibiting self-control, and, and we're, we're almost done. How about this? Number four, we see a compassion for others. Look at Mark 5, verse 19. The Bible says, How be it Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends 
and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee, verse 20, and he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Boy, I love it. You know what? He, 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 when, he, when he was in his right mind, he wanted other people to benefit from the goodness and the grace of God. And by the way, that's how this church ought to be. Brother Mike Hurst and I were having this conversation earlier this afternoon. He said, preacher, this place, this place is a place of love. He said, this place is full of love. He's right about that. He's right. And you say, well, I want to debate with you about that. No, you shouldn't be debating with me. You'd have better luck debating with that piano right there than you with me. <laughs> because this is a place of love. Amen. And I'm so thankful for people at the Calvary Baptist Church who welcome everybody and who roll out the red carpet to everybody and we want others to benefit from the goodness of the Lord. We're done, we're done. Number five, we see a closeness with the Savior. Look at Mark chapter five, verse number 18. This man's now in his right mind. Mark five, verse 18. When he, when he talking about he that's in his right mind, and when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. And we see that this man comprehended what Jesus Christ had done for him. And out of gratitude, he wanted to be with the Lord. Hey, Calvary, you can close your Bibles. I'm done. Did you know when you stop and you think about all that Jesus has done for you, you'll want to be with him? You know that? When you really come to that place where you realize what God has done for you, it won't be a drudgery for you to read your Bible. Nobody will have to force you to read your Bible. Nobody will have to bend your arm behind your back and get you to pray. When you really get to that place and you realize that God is good and God has blessed me beyond measure, you'll have a desire to walk with your God. Ephesians, uh, Genesis chapter five, verse number 24, the Bible says, and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Go, uh, Genesis chapter six, verse number nine, the Bible says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations and Noah walked with God. Man, when you, when you come to that place where you have a right mind, uh, you, you'll get to the place where you can't wait to get in your Bible. You can't wait to spend time in prayer. And I'll tell you something else. You'll not only have a desire to walk with God, you'll have a desire to be at his house. And you won't have to come. You get to come. Man, when our kids were smaller and coming up, we never woke our kids up on Sunday morning and said, get up, we got to go. Never. We never did that. We'd wake our kids up on Sunday morning and say, get up. We get to go to the house of God today. Man, what a joy. What an honor. I can, I can make you a promise. And, of course, four of our grandkids are in Los Angeles. But I can, I can make you a promise that when my grandkids come over to Papaw's, you don't have to bribe them. They're ready to come. In fact, when they come to Papaw's house, they don't want to leave. Oh, don't get me wrong. They love their mom and daddy. They love their mom and daddy like, like the world. But when they come to Mama and Papaw's, they won't stay. In fact, when, Mama, when, when mom and dad come pick them up, they're like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go with you. I want to stay. You know why? You know why? Because they know Papaw loves them. And they love Papaw.
And they know when they come to Papaw's house, they're going to get some blessing. They know it. We're going to eat chocolate. <laughs> we're going to drink some chocolate milk. We're going to swing. We're going to ride the golf cart. Man, we're going to, and, and, they, and they want to come to Papaw's house. Let me tell you something. When you get to that place and you realize just how great he is and all that he's done for you, nobody will have to beg you to come. You'll want to be in the house of the Lord. Hey, listen, are you in your right mind tonight? If you're in your right mind, you'll have contentment. If you're in your right mind, you'll be concerned about your testimony. If you're in your right mind, you'll have control of self, compassion for others, and a closeness with the Savior. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together today. It's been incredible. It really has. God, thank you for the fellowship that we've experienced. Thank you for the music that God has inspired us and encouraged us. Thank you for the choir. Done such a great job today. And God, I want to thank you for this message. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be in our right mind. Father, maybe there's someone here tonight and the devil has been trying to has been trying to work on their mind. Maybe he's been trying to get them discouraged or depressed. Maybe tonight, Lord, Satan has someone bound by lust. Lord, there are things on their mind. Maybe there's someone here tonight and their, their mind is bound with worry. Worry. Lord, anxiety. Wondering how they're going to get through the next week. Father, I pray tonight that you would give some people a right mind. Lord, tonight, maybe some folks need to come and just say, Lord, I yield my mind to you. Lord, fill my mind. Lord, control my mind. Lord, cleanse my mind. Help me to have a right mind. And our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed tonight just a question or two. I wonder how many are here today or tonight and you'd say, Pastor, if I died tonight, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that I would go to heaven. If you can honestly say that without anybody looking, you just slip your hand up tonight. You can take it right back down. Praise God. That's wonderful, church. That's great. That's a blessing. But I want to ask a second question. I wonder if there may be one here this evening. I'm, I wouldn't embarrass you for the world. But if there's one who would say, Pastor, if I died tonight, I'm not sure of heaven. Oh, preacher, I want to go, but I'm not sure. I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for me. And right now, you'd slip your hand up. Just raise it up and let me pray for you right now. Preacher, pray for me. If I died, I'm not sure. All right. Amen. Amen. We're going to pray for these tonight. Anybody else, before we pray, Pastor, I'm not sure if I died that I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me? 
you'd slip your hand up. Is there another anywhere tonight? Anywhere. I'm going to ask the same question I asked this morning. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Are you bothered in your mind tonight? The devil's been working on your mind, trying to infiltrate your mind with depression or discouragement or worry or lust or bitterness or hard feelings or unforgiveness or discontentment. Hey, listen, why don't you do this? Tonight during the invitation, why don't you come and say, Lord, I yield my mind to you. Fill my mind, Lord, fill my mind. If you're watching by way of the live stream, if you're watching, we're so glad to have you. There's a number on the bottom of your screen. I want you to call that number right now. I want you to reach for your phone and call that number right now. And we, want, we have somebody waiting to pray with you over the phone. If you're watching and you need to be saved, I want you to call. If you're watching and you've got a heavy burden, I want you to call. We have some folks that want to pray with you right now. Let's all stand tonight. Father, thank you for giving us a wonderful day. I do pray now, God, you'd, Lord, this is it. This is it for Sunday night. And I pray, God, that you'd help that person that needs a breakthrough tonight. I pray that you'd help them, help them to come. God, as our personal workers are making their way to the front right now, God, it could be there's somebody that needs prayer. I pray that you'll help them to come tonight. Maybe there's someone here tonight that needs to rededicate their life to Christ. Lord, they're saved, but they've just really gotten away from Jesus. And tonight, they need to rededicate their life. Lord, I pray they'll come. It could be there's someone here tonight that has been saved, but they've not been baptized, and they need to present themselves as a candidate for believer's baptism. I pray you'd help them to come. Maybe there's one here tonight, Lord, that's been saved, but they've, they've never made it public. And tonight, they would just come and, and let everybody know that, you know what, I got saved. Father, whatever it is, I pray that you'll have your way in this invitation. Speak to hearts, please. And we thank you in Christ's name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you need to come, the altars are open tonight. Would you come? Can we pray with you tonight? Can we pray with you?